Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Paulus. I am a wife, mom, author, and lifelong educator who has been doing some hard work for two decades. This podcast is about renewing hope, happiness, and in education. We get real and talk candidly about ways educators across the globe are working to uproot the education system and making transformational changes for all educators and students. And beyond the why and the what these transformational education leaders are doing, we get into the how you as an educator can drive toward these changes. I am here to take away the pain, exhaustion that too many of us feel day in and day out and rid ourselves of the question, be the right career choice. Trust me, you did. So let's dig in and ignite the joy, passion, and belief all educators had when deciding to enter a career in education. And let's make some change. So much is possible in education. Hey there, before we dive into this week's episode, I want to remind you that on Tuesday and Wednesday, May 30th and 31st, I will be offering a mini boot camp on becoming a coach. We will dive more into the different buckets of coaching that I shared in episode two of my Becoming a Coach three-part series and how to build your tool belt to becoming a transformational instructional coach. Sign up in the show notes for the two-day exclusive. Welcome back to the Teacher Renewed podcast. As I say in almost all of these episodes, I'm just so excited and humbled to have our guests on. One guest that I have known for almost 21 years next month, which is crazy because that is the legal drinking age and that also dates how old we are. I think we might have just been turning the legal drinking age when we met, which is insane. And then the other person who I'm just meeting through my friendship with our first guest. So let me introduce you now that you're probably like, who are they? But first of all, we have Meredith Madsen, who I met, like I said, 21 years ago as we were becoming teachers. She is now a principal and has been working in education ever since we met. And then we also have Rebecca Shove, who is an educational consultant, an instructional coach and instructional leadership coach, which is just really powerful. Both of whom have now recently published a book called Educating with Passion and Purpose, Keep the Fire Going Without Burning Out, which you know is a topic very near and dear to my heart. So today we're going to dig into their book, into their journeys in education and talk about how we educate with purpose purpose and passion and how we can keep that fire ablaze. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it to Meredith, who is, again, a principal doing this work, somehow managed to author a book while also being a mom. And tell us a little about your journey, Meredith, in education and what's brought you to where you're at today. First, I want to say thank you so much, Kelly, for having us on. This is so exciting. I'm so excited to share my story and our story, our journey that Rebecca and I have been going on with writing this book. But going back to starting education, I honestly was one of those kids that wanted to be a teacher from first grade, right? I have vivid memories of lining my stuffed animals up when I would get home to do homework and teaching them or reading to them. And being really excited about let's get homework done right away so that I can go be this pretend teacher. And so I knew that I had to put myself in a situation where I would be a teacher. And I actually never thought that I would leave the classroom to be a principal. But things happened in my life that got me to take on an assistant principal role and a principal role. And I'm extremely happy that those opportunities came to me. 
But uh, so I went to college at University of Vermont to become a teacher. I studied secondary education and sociology. And then when I was graduating, I could have just gone right into a teaching job, but I knew I wanted to push myself. I wanted to truly be in a community that really needed me. I also recognized that if I did that, I would probably need more support. I also wanted to push myself and just go live in a space that wasn't where I grew up. And so things aligned and I applied to Teach for America and I got in. And it was very much a sign for me when I got into the Eastern North Carolina Corps because that's where my mother's mom lived in North Carolina. So I would be able to be close to her and close to her brother and their family, my aunt and my cousins, because they all lived in Eastern North Carolina. So it was like, I got to do it. I was in Eastern North Carolina for the two years and it was the most amazing two years, first two years of teaching because I was able to really just dive in and live and breathe teaching. There weren't that many distractions, right? Living in a house with only teachers and being in a really small town and having all of your friends be teachers and all of your outings be it. You really talk about education, live and breathe it. And then I moved back to New York after those two years and was really blessed to get a teaching job that allowed me to also be a debate coach. And then that I was there for one year. And in the book, Rebecca and I write a lot about teachers finding their professional home their home that thrives them and drives them, which we talk about as being one of the keys of not burning out is when you're in a space that breeds your passion. And so after that one year, I found my home, the Urban Assembly School of Design and Construction, and I've been there for 18 years. So it has been a very long time in one space, but I've seen this school grow and have so much impact on the students. And it, it just every day keeps me going. Wow. Meredith, 18 years. That's typically unheard of in education anymore. That is so inspiring. And it's really unheard of to be in a city school for 18 years. In New York City, teachers are always moving. Administrators are always moving. So it is, it is rare. I cannot wait to talk about how to find your professional home because you obviously have and therefore are a guru in thinking about what that means. Thank you, Meredith. Let's kick it over to Rebecca. Share a little about yourself as well as your journey into education and how it's gotten you to where and what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us, Kelly. This is so exciting to be here. And I'm really excited to just talk with you today and share a bit about the book and our journey and writing it. I do have memories as a child of um, also playing teacher, but I don't think I ever actually wanted to be a teacher. Certainly once I was old enough to think about what I was going to do with my life, being a teacher was not something that I really thought about, but I didn't really think about anything, honestly. I had no idea as I was graduating from college what I wanted to do with my life or where I wanted to be. And I traveled for a while in Southeast Asia and I lived at home in Miami. That's where I'm from. For a little while, I was a preschool teacher. I worked in an art gallery. I moved to New York. I worked in arts administration, in modern dance for a couple of years. And then I decided I really wanted to go back to school because being a lifelong learner is something that has always been really a core part of who I am. And a couple of years after college, I was like, I just want to go back to college. I just want to keep learning. How do I do that? Like, how do you do that? So I applied to a bunch of PhD programs and I didn't get into any of them. And I was really casting about, I knew I didn't want to be in arts administration anymore, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I saw this ad on the subway in New York City that said, 
you remember your first grade teacher's name, who will remember yours? And it really spoke to me because I do remember my first grade teacher's name, Mrs. Banky at Miami Shores Elementary School. And I just was like, huh, maybe I should look into this program. So I researched it and I ended up applying. It was a two-year commitment to teach in a high-need public school in New York City. And I was qualified based on my undergraduate degree to be a high school English teacher. And I had an absolutely amazing high school English teacher, Miss Deborah Leone. She really spoke to my soul as a learner, as a reader, and as a writer. And when I thought about who I might become as a teacher, I thought about Miss Leone. And I had a very contentious relationship with school when I was growing up, but Miss Leone's class and the person that I became as a result of having her as my teacher for two years um, is truly one of the bright spots. And So I became a New York City teaching fellow and I started teaching at a large comprehensive high school in the Bronx. And then I was invited to be part of the founding faculty at a small high school for architecture and engineering in Manhattan, which is the school that Meredith was talking about. And I taught there for one year. And then the following year, we needed to hire more staff because we started with just ninth grade and I was one of the two founding English teachers. And we hired Meredith in the second year to be the 10th grade global history teacher. And that was how Meredith and I met and became colleagues. And then we continued to work together for the next, I think, eight or nine years before I left the school. Wow, that's amazing. So let's then pivot into the relationship between the two of you and the impetus for writing this book and talk through the journey of how that came about. And then we'll dig into the actual content of the book. One quick thing is that Rebecca was actually the person that when I got interviewed, someone had to come to the school to do, to observe me teach. And Rebecca was actually the person that came to my school (laughs) in downtown Brooklyn to observe me teach. And then that's actually the start of my journey of finding the school. (laughs) Awesome. That's awesome. And so much has happened in between that point and this point. So yeah, Rebecca, do you want to take it away and share with us what ignited this desire to write this book and co-write? That's a feat in and of itself. Yeah, I think I actually think it does start with the very beginning when Meredith and I met when I went to observe her as part of the hiring process for our school. Meredith and I are really different in a lot of ways as teachers, but I also think we have a really strong connection in other ways. And I think that connection was activated when I came to visit her classroom that very first time. I was actually visiting two teachers that day, including Meredith, and I saw the same group of students in both classes. I followed them from one class to Meredith's class. And they were completely different in the two classes because they were with two completely different teachers. And I remember as soon as I saw how Meredith was interacting with the students, I was like, I want to work with her oh. we need at our school. And so we hired her. And I was the ninth grade English teacher at that point. One of the ninth grade English teachers, Meredith, was a 10th grade history teacher. We worked together in some ways. But a couple of years later, when our school was starting a new advanced placement program and Meredith and I were both set to be teaching in that program, 
we started working together in more significant ways. And we were actually sent to a training program for new AP teachers in Southern California one summer in 2006. It was fairly conventional professional development, honestly. Not super inspiring, I don't think, but like very informative. And then because we were both based in New York at the time, we decided to go to Hawaii after that (laughs) because we were young teachers and we were halfway to Hawaii already. So why not go the rest of the way? So we spent a week at this training program in Southern California, and then we spent a week in Maui and the learning continued. We were doing things as tourists all day, every day, going to surf school, going to the top of a volcano and cycling down, visiting the rainforest. Like we were learners all day, every day, but also we had just had this experience as new advanced placement teachers. And so we were talking also about what we were teaching, what we were reading, how we wanted to teach it, what we thought our school should do differently. And it was a really rich experience. We, of course, came back, continued to teach together. And then in the 2012-2013 school year, we both were invited to become lead teachers at our school. And this was a new position offered by the New York City Department of Education as part of a commitment to building teacher leadership pathways. So recognizing that there are educators who want to remain in the classroom, want to stay connected to students and to teaching and learning and to developing their pedagogy but do not want to become leaders. And up until that point, it very much felt like if you were a successful classroom teacher and you wanted to continue to grow, there was one pathway and it was to become a school administrator. But at the time, Meredith and I were not interested in that. And so when this new pathway opened with the support of the DOE, we both were really interested in it and our school was able to take both of us on. And so What that meant was that we taught about a half load in terms of what a typical teaching load is at our school. I think teachers taught five class periods and we taught three. And we spent the rest of the day mentoring new teachers who were our colleagues, coaching our colleagues who were more experienced teachers, visiting classes, and creating an instructional leadership team with our principal and our assistant principal. And most significantly, Meredith and I took on the responsibility of leading professional development for the entire faculty every Wednesday afternoon. So we built a year-long scope and sequence. We planned backwards and we designed and facilitated a probably maybe 90-minute or so workshop every Wednesday afternoon for the entire faculty. And It was really a laboratory for us where we were testing instructional methods for adult learning. And it was one of the most impactful professional learning experiences of my own life, designing and facilitating in partnership and collaboration with Meredith. And again, we were very different in the classroom in a lot of ways, but there was also a very strong center of that Venn diagram of us. It was through the places where we really did see things similarly and believe things similarly that we were able to create that professional learning experience for our colleagues that ended up being so transformative for us. That collaboration was for one year. At the end of that year, Meredith had the opportunity to become the assistant principal of the school. And I had the opportunity to become an instructional and teacher leadership coach at the central DOE. And that was a really significant time for me that summer of 2013. In my personal life, I was moving and I was going through fertility treatments and I was feeling burnt out at my school, honestly. 
And I really needed a change of some kind. And this position, the universe brought it to me, honestly. I was not out seeking it. It was a brand new position that was forming and I seized it and it was the right place for me. But meanwhile, during that year, that school year that Meredith and I were being lead teachers together, we had this idea for a book. We were feeling so rejuvenated and refreshed and excited by our collaboration and by the work that we were doing at our school that we felt like we had something to offer. Like we felt like we had something to offer to mid-career teachers because so many teachers leave the classroom within their first few years in the profession. And at that point, we were at about the 10-year mark and we were veteran teachers in our school. And we felt like we were starting to see at least one way to really keep that fire going. And we had this idea for a book. But as I said, at the end of that school year, we went separate ways professionally. We stayed friends. We stayed in, in contact with each other. We continued to see each other and to talk and to be thought partners. I came back and coached at Meredith School. We were still collaborators in a lot of ways, but the book was there. But we were both really busy and doing other things. And then the pandemic started. And in April of 2020, Meredith texted me, I still think about the book that we mm. said that we wanted to write. And we started writing it. Meredith, do you want to tell like what happened next in terms of how we actually wrote the book from that point? Yeah, there's so much that was just said. It was, and it like everything you said just really resonated with me, obviously, because I was part of <laughs> it, you right? were there. <laughs> but thinking about, I think about how different things happen, right, in life and how things just happen for a reason. But I really think about the fact that Rebecca and I were, um, like she said, so different in the classroom, but yet our principal at the time, uh, when they put us as lead teachers, like I think about that opportunity that was so huge for both of us to keep our fire going because we're at a point where we like needed something else beyond just the classroom. And we were assigned this role of lead teachers and we both had to mentor teachers and run professional development at the school. We had so many roles and responsibilities, but it was really amazing to see how different our personalities, how we were able to come together to create a rich experience for the teachers, um, which is similar to what's happened with the book. So when COVID happened and we were like, it's COVID such a weird time. And I think for everybody's life, but in some weird way, we almost had more time. We had the ability to use Zoom, learn Zoom and use Zoom in such a positive way. So once it happened, we started Zooming once a week and just writing which became somewhat therapeutic in some ways. They don't know if we had at the first, we were just writing about our experience to be teaching. And each week we would just be like, hey, let's write about classroom management today. And we were both just the right stories about classroom management. Let's write about our curriculum today. Let's write about mentors. You know, this, not the week. We give, you, we give each other homework every week. And then it's a crazy story how we ended up getting actually in touch with Josie Bass and Wiley, which is also a small world, like educational story too. I was actually on my son's PTA meeting through Zoom, and I was really impressed. It was a male that was leading the whole Zoom. He was getting people to talk through Zoom. And when I'm on Zoom, it's always so hard to get people to engage and talk, but he was calling people out, getting everybody going. The next day, he posted something on his Facebook page. I'd never met him before about how he runs a nonprofit trying to increase financial literacy classes into middle school, high schools. And so I reached out to him and was like, I would love to learn more about your program. I'd love to get this for my school. Um, and I did. I ended up having one of my students participate in his financial literacy program. And we, I then was working with his nonprofit like a little bit and just talking to him. And 
on one of the Zooms that I had with him, he said, thank you for your time. Like as principals, my parents are principals. I know it's so hard. He goes, and my sister is the only one not in education. She's a publisher. And I was like, would your sister be with me and my friend Rebecca? We've been writing, but we didn't have a book yet. And she met with us. And then from there, we got the template for the book proposal. She pitched it and we got picked up and it was just been a whirlwind since then. And then we continued from there meeting once a week and now just with more of a focused goal of actually trying to frame this into a book. And so the way our book is laid out is pretty special. Each chapter is a different piece about educators, like starting from your purpose to starting with stories of burnout to what's your curriculum? How do you teach? How do you form relationships with mentors? How do you find that home of yours? And each chapter has, it starts with a little intro and then it has my personal stories and then it has Rebecca's personal stories and then it has, here's some tips for yourself as an educator to go through this reflective process. And then there's tips for school leaders on how to go through the reflective process. And I got to say, Kelly, it was really amazing too when I got your book, because I bought your book, was able to read your book prior to our book even coming out. And I think just the way you also told some raw, really personal, real stories is what we tried to do as well. We're real educators here. These are our real stories. And we want people to be able to read those and connect and then to be able to be like, and here's some things you can do. It, it has that similar kind of flow, which I really loved about your book. Oh, thank you. I'm sitting here blushing. Don't talk much about my book. I probably should talk more about it. But we're talking about your book. <laughs> what an amazing journey and the collaborative space in which you all built from starting with going and observing Meredith. That is such a powerful story and the nexus of your relationship being education. So I can only imagine the power in one writing the book, but the outcome of what this book is really sharing with the world of educators. Something that you've brought up a few times that I'd love to then dig in, given that the book does offer some tips, maybe teaser, because I want to make sure that our teacher reading community gets a hold of this book, but is the finding your professional home. And I think through the story of that journey, it's clear how the two of you found that maybe if you're willing to dig a little bit of that part of the book and just share with us that one tip, the tips within that, that can really anchor our educators, maybe our educators who are leaning toward the exit that could really use the insight of what can I do to have what you both have. I would just love to hear your insight and how do we find our professional home? So one thing that I'm thinking about that I just want to say is sometimes I think educators forget that when they go on an interview or when they're going to interview, they should also be interviewing the school. I think especially young educators are just so excited to get a job and they're like, yes, okay, good. I'm good which is good. I'm not saying don't take the job, but do know what you're going into. I do write about my first interview, which was over the phone, Teach for America style. Literally, I was super prepared for it. And the person asked me one question was like, can you be here on August, blah, 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 for our orientation date? And I was like, yes, I can. I just took that job, right? Now, and I didn't do the whole, and if you read about what I went through to get my home of 18 years, it was a very intense interview process. But I'm not saying... You got to do what you got to do. Sometimes you got to take that job, but know what you're going into. Know their vision. Know what the mission of the school is. 
and know if it's aligned to your mission and vision. And I think some of that reflection and just knowing will help you. It'll help you get more connected if it is a good match. And if it's not a good match, it'll help. Okay, this is the school's mission. It might not be aligned to what I'm thinking right now, but what do I need to do to make sure I'm still comfortable within that space? Because I think alignment is so important. Yeah, I completely agree. Most of the book is about individual purpose and really helping educators to uncover and refine and recommit to their sense of purpose. Why are you an educator in the first place? That that purpose may not be the same now that it was when you came into the profession, and that's okay. But really understanding why am I doing this work? And then using that purpose as a litmus test for decision-making. Because we believe that in many cases, educator burnout stems from this misalignment between purpose and reality. And that when we're able to bring our reality into alignment with our purpose, we can find a sustainable way to do this work and thrive so that it's serving us, our families, and most importantly, our students and our schools. And institutions have purposes also. They don't always call them purpose or why, but schools often generally and hopefully have a mission or a vision or a set of core values, a reason that they exist, a type of work that they are asserting that they are doing in the world on behalf of their students. And as Meredith said, it's really important to make sure that your purpose is aligned with the school's purpose. Now, Meredith just spoke to the hiring process, right? And like what you would do with your, when you're looking for a position to make sure that your purpose is aligned with the school's purpose. But sometimes you're already at the school right? and you're maybe realizing that your purpose is not aligned. And we offer on page 114 in the book, like a really clear way to think about that. Like you have four options. You can do nothing and suffer. You can change what you can about yourself, right? You can try to shift your own mindset or your attitude or your feelings. You can try to change your schedule, your teaching schedule, your life schedule. You can try to change your priorities, right? Three, you can change what you can about your community using whatever influence you have. Potentially, you can help your school start to shift its purpose. Or four, you can leave and find a community that does share your purpose. And for Meredith and I, we really want to keep inspired, exciting, effective, transformative educators in the system and working on behalf of all students and any students. And sometimes that does mean leaving the community where you are. I did. And that's okay if we are keeping educators in the work, doing the work on behalf of students, even if it's not in the professional home that they started in. On the flip side, too, with school leaders, and this is something that I've had to work really hard on, is to sometimes hire for people, not always positions. And we write about that a little bit. Just this idea of sometimes we get so stressed out because I need a math teacher. And I have been there many times where it's, I just, I need someone that's going to be able to teach math in front of my students. And so sometimes it means really thinking outside the box and being like, maybe I don't have that certified math teacher, but I, I need three and I got two, whatever it is. But now I have to think outside the box and hire someone. Maybe that's different or because they're more aligned, being okay with having to hire a long-term sub for a little while if you don't have the right person. I know that's not ideal at all, um, but just really having to push yourself to say, I'm going to hire someone that's also aligned to the school's vision and being really upfront in the interview process about what is the school's vision? What is the school looking for? What does the school need from their teachers? Like most schools don't need someone that's going to leave at three o'clock. 
you know, that, and if you need that, then you got to be transparent. Or if it's okay that they leave at three o'clock because they're killing it in the classroom, then be okay. But be really clear with the people that you're interviewing with what you need and having an interview committee that knows the vision and that is able to articulate it. So it's not just on the school leader is so important as well. I want to underscore what Meredith said about hiring people, not positions. So a lot of times I think that hiring decisions are made on both sides, both by the school and by candidates from a place of desperation. And that scarcity mindset, of course, there are realities around how the system works, but that scarcity mindset also stems from a sense of competition in that a lot of times schools and districts are pitted against each other. And that comes from the impact of capitalism on the public education system. And what Meredith is talking about in the examples that she shared from being a principal and the sort of creative or outside the box thinking that she's applied to hiring at times is one way to push back against that, right? To say, I am not going to treat staffing for my school, i.e. the most important decisions that I will make about who is doing the most important work that happens in this building, which is the work that teachers do with students in classrooms. I am not going to come at that work from a place of desperation and scarcity where I'm hiring the first person who I think will say yes. She's really thinking about who is the person that my students need and how can I think creatively around what may be bureaucratic requirements or outdated ways of thinking about positions or about the budget or anything else so that I can get the right person in the classroom for my students. And we know that's not always easy for all leaders to do. Not all leaders have the same level of autonomy because districts and states work differently. But we hope that to whatever extent the educators and leaders who read this book can, that they will put that idea at the forefront, thinking about people, not positions, when it mm -hmm. comes to finding their professional home or bringing new teachers into a professional home. So good. And hopefully your book helps the ignition and spark and continued fire to keep people in so that people get to be hired for the person they are and not because they're trying to leave and all of those things. Thank you for sharing. We are in the midst of hiring season. I know you are as well, Meredith, and it really hits home right now. And we want people for the long haul. And with all of that being said, yeah, when you think about the person first and foremost, who is going to likely be here for the long haul. That's just, it's powerful. And there's ways to do that. I'd love to hear from both of you as we think about the book a little bit more, sharing one of the more resonating stories and some of the tips that you share. You both have had your experiences. You share raw, you share vulnerably. If you could just come up with one of those stories, a nugget of it, share it a little bit. And then the lesson learned in that before we we close out, because I'd love for, again, us to just provide this amazing teacher renewed community with a teaser as to what this book has to offer them. I'm going to share <laughs> a story from the book. This tip is not in the book. I wish it was in the book, Meredith, but I do think that this is a tip that any teacher or leader or educator can put into practice. In the book, I talk about a couple of transformative and even radicalizing experiences that I had as an educator that really shifted my understanding of what my work was. And one of those experiences was that, as I said, in 2013, I left the classroom and became an instructional and teacher leadership coach at the district level. 
And that was one of those experiences because now I was visiting classrooms like the students were. I was sitting in a student desk and I was experiencing teaching and learning like students were. And even beyond the classroom itself, I was visiting schools like a student or like a visitor, at least. Many high schools in New York City, including the one where Meredith and I taught, have scanning. Students have to go through metal detectors and x-ray machines to enter the school building, and so do visitors. And I had never had to do that before as a teacher. And now that I was a coach visiting schools across the city, I had to do that. I had to have that experience. I spent the day like not having access to the bathroom because all the bathrooms were locked and I didn't have a key. And then I went into classrooms and I sat there all day, every day, experiencing instruction. And I realized that for all these reasons and many more, school was a fundamentally disempowering experience for students. And that as a teacher, I had been complicit in that system. And it was maybe something intellectually that I knew, certainly something I intellectually I had read, but it was not something that I had ever experienced so viscerally and truly in my body. What is it like to sit in a student desk for seven hours a day, to never be given the opportunity except for lunch and maybe physical education to stand up and move besides the three minutes of passing between classes? What was it like to sit and listen for seven hours a day and be expected to take notes? What was it like to never get to share my own ideas unless I was asking a question? These are just some of the things that I experienced. And it really transformed my understanding of myself as an educator and the work that I needed to do on myself, as well as the kind of feedback that I needed to be brave enough to give to the teachers that I was coaching. So the tip that I want to offer is to every educator and leader out there, if you have never done this or if you haven't done this in a while, to shadow a student for the day. And I don't mean be their tutor and go from class to class. I don't mean be a co-teacher. Follow a specific student's schedule for an entire school day. Sit near them. Do the work that they do. Fill out the worksheet. Take the notes. Participate in the group work. Go to the cafeteria for lunch, go to phys ed, do all of the things that student does, and then get yourself some kind of reflective experience to unpack what you learned from that, whether it's a colleague or a coach or a mentor or a supervisor or somebody in your personal life, right? What did you learn by being in that student's shoes for the day? And what did that make you reflect on in terms of what it's like to be a student? in your classroom, in your school, all day, every day. Because you did it for one day, multiply that by 180 days and then multiply that by 13 years. <laughs> and what does that mean to you? I love that, Rebecca. So good. And I'm already inspired to do that. I get to be in a lot of classrooms, but I've never just done it from the lens of one student and that experience. And I am definitely going to bring this back to my team. So thank you. That's yeah. so good. I love it. And I'm equally excited and equally worried. Which yeah, the, understandably. Very unsettling. Yeah, I would say understandably. And it was, it, I have also worked with teachers and supported them through doing that. And it is always an unsettling experience, but a deeply powerful one. And I think one that, you know, is an exercise in deep empathy, honestly. And I think that when we bring that sense of empathy for our students into the way that we design and facilitate instruction, as well as just the school experience more broadly, we are able to do so with student voice at the center. 
And that is very much needed right now. Oh, thank you. There's many stories that I'm thinking about that I want to share. I'll try to get it together, though. So one thing I'm thinking about just as in the beginning of the book, I share a little bit about myself as a student. And I shared that as a high school student, I was very much a struggling reader. I also was just struggling in life in many ways. I had my mother was very sick my senior year. She ended up passing away in the August right after my senior year. And I was not showing up to school on time. I was not a very good student my senior year. I just was a total mess. Many days I would come into school in my pajamas late and with a handwritten note signed by my mom. And I put it in air quotes because my mom couldn't write at the time. She was paralyzed. And my teachers knew this. They knew that it comes within her signature. But everybody took it from me. Nobody said anything to me. I was very much feeling invisible in many ways. Honestly, I wasn't as aware of it at the time. I just posted by, but reflecting on it and thinking about the educator that I am now, not wanting students to be invisible is so important to me. And I think about the chapter where we talk about what we teach. Um, I was a history teacher and I feel like I loved and I had passion towards the curriculum that I taught. And I wasn't necessarily the best history student. If you ask me what happened with dates and names, I would forget many times, but I love the story behind history. And I felt like I tried to always push that onto my students. But when I was teaching, I always tried to have my students voice and my students be within the classroom. And that kind of like aligned, like their selves be within the classroom. And that really aligned with my why, my purpose, really wanting every single student to not be invisible for them to feel like they have a place within the classroom. And so I would just walk every single day. And I talked about this in, in um, the book when any day I was teaching, I want the curriculum to connect to my students in some way. And I feel like it is so important to me. And so I think about and the planning that goes into teaching as well. And that a lot of times schools give teachers curriculum or say, you have to do this, you have to teach it this way. And I just really want to challenge teachers to say, how does that way or that curriculum connect to you? If you don't have a personal connection to what you're teaching or how you're teaching it, it's not going to come off as authentic. And so you need to do a little bit of work. You can't just take a curriculum and just teach it. You have to make that curriculum your curriculum. And I think that has a direct impact on students. And being really real with your students about who you are is so important to help create that authentic relationship. And then the last thing, I would say, which is a little bit different, we, I write about all the mentors and all the relationships that I've had within my life that have gotten me into this space. But the biggest thing is never feel alone. I think the classroom and also being a school leader can be very isolating. And when you get into that isolation space, that's when people burn out. But think about who are the people that are mentoring you? Who are the people that are available for you to be able to be your best self as a teacher? Um, and that's another piece that I really much write about is I think about my first two years in North Carolina and I got to share it, Kelly, because I'm on with you, is that we had two, I had two mentors. One was given to me through the district and one was one I found and they were polar opposite, very different, amazing women that taught me so much. But knowing that what were they like and what can I go to them for? Who, which one should I go to for a specific issue? I always thought about those things. And I think it's just so important for educators to go out and ask for help. Be okay with not having the answer. Be okay with needing to go to someone because so many of us want to find the answer because we're teachers. We should know. We should be able to figure things out. And what we really need to do is know when it's okay to ask questions, ask for help. I think that will truly help. 
Awesome. Would love to hear from both of you. What advice do you have for educators right now to have a renewed sense of hope in our system? The advice that I have for educators is be true to you. Really understand who you are as an educator and make sure you're showing that and showing up every single day. I truly believe that education is the most difficult job. And sometimes we have to, as a colleague always taught me, put our ego aside because we're not here about us. We're really here for our students. And so make sure we're able to show up each day for them. And that means you might have to do some real reflection, self-care for yourself and self-awareness and be transparent with your students. When you're having a tough day, it's okay to say it so that they can also be there for you and support you when needed. But it's so important right now to make sure that we're okay so that we can be there every single day for our kids. Love it. I would say for every educator and leader to remember that in so many ways, being in education is an exercise in delayed gratification. We often do not get to see our impact. Even in my own life, right? I talked at the beginning of this podcast about Miss Leon, the teacher who ultimately inspired me to be a high school English teacher and about whom I write extensively in this book. Never once when I was in high school did I tell Miss Leone that she was the best English teacher I'd ever had. Never once did I tell her that she was the person who inspired me to be a reader and writer and sparked my lifelong love of learning. And clearly, I never told her when I was in high school that she was going to be the inspiration for me to become an educator and then write a book, right? As an educator, Miss Leone waited another 25 years to find out about that impact. If you're in the classroom right now, you may never know the impact. You may never get that clear feedback from one of your former students, but know that you are having that impact. And that is because the work that happens in individual classrooms all around this country, all around this planet every single day is potentially the most transformative work that is happening at any given time in human experience. And you have a tremendous amount of power to impact that work. On any given day, at any given time, something can happen in your classroom that will transform the course of one of your students' lives. That is the importance and the value of your work. But you may never know that. You may never learn that impact. So this work requires a tremendous amount of faith and hope and belief. And I hope that this book helps educators to reconnect to their sense of faith and hope and belief around why they do this work. Thank you so much. So where and when can people start getting educating with passion and purpose, keep the fire going without burning out? It's out right now and it's available wherever books are sold. So we very much support independent bookstores and hope that folks will support the indie bookstores in their community or online, but they can also find it at, you know, bookseller of choice. And I will just say for this amazing Teacher Renewed community, you know this anytime we have authors on here. I do love to gift books to this community. So just keep in mind that should you DM me and share a little nugget that you have coming from this conversation, or if you share the marketing from this 
podcast episode on your Instagram or social media and tag me at teacher underscore renewed. You'll be put in a drawing for a free one of these copies. So super excited about that. Meredith and Rebecca, where can people find you? So we have a website. It's feedingteacherburnout.com. So you can definitely go on that website, check it out. And there's a way to get in touch with us through there. We also have an Instagram, Feeding Teacher Burnout. And then we also each have our own personal website, um, which is our full name. And so those are a couple of ways to get in touch with us. So we definitely would love to hear from you all and, and just always message us and we'll definitely answer the questions and get back to anybody. Thank you so much. I will include all of those links in the show notes. And again, Meredith, one, it's just so great to see you, even if it is in the two dimension. Eventually, I'm sure we will come across one another and get to give each other a three dimensional hug. And Rebecca, it's just so nice to meet you. Thank you for the work that you're doing, that you continue to do in education and really proving what's possible. And same to you, Kelly. And thank you so much for having us and for using your podcast as a way to just expand your reach. It's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much, Meredith and Rebecca, for such a fruitful conversation. Super excited about your book. Congratulations. And just cannot wait to get it in the hands of as many educators as possible. Here are the takeaways from today's episode. Number one, find your professional hub. To do this, just as much as you are being interviewed, remember you are interviewing as well. Keep in mind alignment between yours and their mission and vision. And always come back to your why in the process when considering your professional home. And allow this why to be the litmus test to finding your answer. Number two, hire for people, not position. Number three, shadow a student for a day. Sit as a student for the entire day. Then give yourself a reflective experience considering what you have learned. This is an exercise in deep empathy. Number four, teachers need to ensure every student is seen. Every student is visible. And one way to do this is to ensure your curriculum connects and reflects who your students are. Number five, be true to you. Be real with your students about who you are. They need to know the real you. Number six, never feel alone. Consider who are the people available to you who will help you be the best version of yourself. Go to them. Set your ego aside and know that it is okay not to have the answers. Number seven, being in education is an exercise in delayed gratification. You may never know the impact you have had, but know you are having an impact. You have a tremendous amount of power to impact your work. Remember, I will be raffling off the book, Educating with Passion and Purpose, Keep the Fire Going Without Burn. To join the raffle and receive a free copy of Meredith and Rebecca's book, DM me on Instagram or Facebook and let me know you enjoyed the episode or share the episode in your stories and tag me at teacher underscore renewed. By doing any one of those things, you will automatically be entered. Hey there, don't forget to register for my two-day bootcamp, Becoming a Transformational Instructional Coach. If you are currently a teacher wanting to become an instructional coach, someone new to instructional coaching, or have been coaching for a while and are ready to take your practice to the next level, this is an opportunity for you. 
Over the course of two days, we are going to have a blast lean into how to lead from a vision and virtues, as well as talking about how to infuse transformational coaching into your instructional coaching practices. I guarantee you're going to get so much out of this. And did I mention it is a free boot camp? So much packed in two days and it's free. Beyond the tools, you will have a different outlook and perspective on coaching. I guarantee it. So sign up using the link on the show notes or on my Instagram bio.